What's up, everybody? I am Ryan McNichols, host of Fantasy Oddballs Football Podcast. I am joined by my co-host, Rich Hauk, and our producer, Mike Coyle. We are talking everything Dynasty and season-long fantasy football. We dig through all the numbers so that you don't have to. Hey, everybody. We are back again. It is still Tuesday, September 13th. We are finishing up our Week 1 recap. And we're going to get right into it. Well, first, we're going to tackle a few just general themes again, kind of like we did last time. So, uh, one of the other things that I was looking at this week, or week one, was uh, some quarterbacks in some new places. So, we've had a couple of guys. We had Russell Wilson in Denver, Carson Wentz with the Washington Commanders, Matt Ryan with the Atlanta Falcons, Baker Mayfield, obviously, with Carolina, Jacoby Brissett playing for Cleveland, and Mitchell Trubisky with the Steelers. So... A couple of these guys had some really nice games out there. Carson Wentz looked really good for the Commanders. Trubisky looked decent. Brissett? Looked, game, game managing, but, you know, he, he did what he needed to do. Looked decent. Look, uh, He looked better than some people thought he would look out there on the field. How do we feel about Matt Ryan's performance, Russell Wilson's performance, and Baker Mayfield? So, so we'll, we'll start with Russell Wilson. Hey, I'm disappointed. Expected more. It. I was reading some some Seahawks fans' reactions and stuff, and they have been, them and Bronco fans have been going back and forth on the internet. And um, basically, the Seahawks fans were like, "This is what we were warning you guys about. This is what he does now. This is what he is." And it was just kind of a uh, an interesting thing because I, I guess I didn't watch him closely enough in the past. But it was it was strange. It was a disappointing game. I don't know how much of it I'm willing to put on Wilson, uh, but I definitely want to put some of it on the coach. Um, the play calling was we talked about it in the last episode. The play calling oh. was atrocious. Game management, clock management was atrocious. It just all around getting the plays into the huddle was. It just looked ill prepared. And to me, I got to put that on the coach. I can't put that on the quarterback. So I was disappointed, but I'm willing to wait and see before I'm, I'm going to write off the Broncos' offense, or the Broncos entirely. I mean, like you said, three weeks or so, and then we'll start to make an adjustment you know, to our rankings and our opinions and how we feel about it. But for, for now, I'm going to hold the Broncos. Is it weird how much hate Russ is getting from the Seahawks? Like, you know, I feel like some other it's, quarterbacks changed places and don't and haven't gotten as much, you know, slack from fan bases as this. Do you... Disagree. I mean, I, they booed him when he. It's one thing to boo him during the game and all, and make the noise and be the twelfth man that's going on, but like to boo him when he comes out on the field at the start of the game, like for the announcements and all that. It's like, guy won you a Super Bowl, man. Like it was about the way it went down, the way it all ended. It was drawn. Tr- it was drawn out over multiple years. And but who's but whose fault is that? Like who, the Seahawks wouldn't get rid of him. They wanted to trade him several times. They never got the deal done. Like I, just, I don't know, man. It just seemed one of those things where it's like it seemed like both sides wanted to be go, wanted to be gone, and he's gone. And it's like now you're mad that he's gone. And it's like, well, what? Are, I don't know. That's just what I thought. I'm with you though. Yeah, I blame a lot of it on the play calling. The one thing I will say that kind of makes me nervous is I said to you earlier, he absolutely refused to take anything on the ground, man. No, he didn't. There were several times where I looked, and it seemed like he had four or five yards of clear, green grass in front of him that he could have picked up, and he just opted to throw a low percentage you know, pass or toss it out of bounds. I'm just like, what's going on? Like, Weren't you like one of the best rushing quarterbacks in your prime at one time? What are we doing in this game? So a little disappointing from him. 
Matt Ryan looked like a game manager, and again, he looked like he's being handicapped by whatever Frank Reich is trying to do with the offense. He did have some drop uh, drop by you know Alec Pierce in the end zone that would have helped him out, but I mean, again, I put a lot of some of that stuff on the play calling it. Yeah, it was very like meh, like just bleh, like it is what it was. You know, Matt Ryan, it, he did throw for three hundred fifty yards. It, Michael Pittman had a blow up yeah. game. I yeah, yeah, I was gonna say he threw three hundred fifty yards. Did it seem like it? Did, did it seem like this offense was vastly improved from when Carson Wentz was under center last year? Not particularly. Yeah, no. so we'll see after week one. Again, this is week one. You know, strange things happen. You're playing division rival who knows a lot about you. Maybe this has played a, you got a new quarterback there. We'll see. Um, Baker Mayfield. I think we're kind of I think we're kind of in the same place for all three of those quarterbacks who didn't do well in their new place was that yeah. I feel like the coaching staff didn't do them a whole lot of favors with not just the play calling the personnel settings when you look at who's out there during certain plays and you're just like why so that's kind of where I'm at with those guys. Um, yeah, with, with Baker, I felt like he didn't look completely comfortable in the offense just yet, and he was still getting situated, and it's understandable he got there late in the off season and. We'll see it going forward. Um, I, I'd be willing to give Mayfield more time than I would some of the other, like Matt Ryan. Yeah, I'm willing to give Baker a little bit just for the situation there. Matt Ryan's been there all pretty yeah, much Matt all off season. He went through the programs with them, and he's familiar with the offense and the players. And Mayfield's only been there for a month, so you know. Yeah, I don't really have any time yeah. to give Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan's my timing off might be more. In the he month. didn't play for. I don't think he was with them for the preseason. So yeah, that's about right. Maybe. So I mean. Uh, Matt Ryan, like you said, I'm, I'm not giving him many. I, Matt Ryan's off the radar for me, essentially. Like, I'm not particularly interested, especially after my rant last episode about how the Colts play scared. I don't imagine. Like, I'm surprised he had 350 passing yards, in all honesty. 350, I didn't even, yeah, 352. So only, only the one touchdown, one pick. I think he fumbled and lost one, too. So he did turn the ball over twice. Yeah. Which but, is about the same thing you got from Carson Wentz last year. Exactly. So... <laughs> Yeah, so we'll just move on from them. Some wide receivers in new places, though. We had a handful of guys that did really well, and then we had a handful of guys that we were expecting some more from. And then some... I don't know. So let's start with the good. Uh, A.J. Brown, Devontae Adams, Tyree Kill, on new teams. Great. A.J. Brown and Devontae Adams were a lot less effective. Well, A.J. Brown, first off, A.J. Brown's the one of these... Uh, the one of the person in this group that stocks went up like big, shot up through the big hoof time, big time a lot of people were down and when he went to the eagles yeah run first offense can hurt support two wide receivers and a tight end and you saw aj brown fall down the rankings i'm um, one of them i had him ranked outside the top 20 because i thought it'd be more of a split i was not he has a that connection with Jalen hurts is real my so again the essentially my though my my concern is that there is one of two outcomes, essentially, then that's going to happen is either Jalen Hurts and Devontae Smith eat into each other every week and, you know, flip back and forth as to who's getting most targets on a weekly basis, or it's something like, you know, eight to six targets a week, eight targets for A.J. Brown, six for Smith, or this continues and Devontae Smith's value plummets. And it goes bye-bye. So... Uh, we'll see. Maybe there's a situation where they just throw a little bit more, and there is some value to be had from both of them. And AJ Brown will come. I don't expect the kind of perform this kind of performance from AJ Brown every week, but uh, I think going forward, probably be ranked around wide receiver 15 for me going into this week. See how the matchups are, depending on everybody, because some other guys are hurt, fall off, so he might be a little higher than that once I sort everything out. 
But uh, he's definitely going to be higher than I thought he was going to be, and Devontae Smith's going to be quite a bit lower. So, Devontae Adams looks like he was unaffected by his move to Los Angeles. Didn't make a difference. Didn't make a difference for him. Nope. It made a difference for the other pass catchers on the Las Vegas Raiders, yes, though. Hunter Renfro is a ghost, and uh, Darren Waller did not do much either. So, Second fiddle. Again, that's one of the things that... It's one of those things that concern me about is like, I guess I was more on the side of I didn't think these guys would go there and still be target monsters and absorb that because of the other pass catchers there that were viable. So going forward, it's just, again, almost the same thing. Is Devontae Adams going to get that target share every week at Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller? His fantasy value is, you know, bye-bye. Or is it going to be a little more balanced going forward? They also, you know... Devontae Adams still kind of did well. The, the, the Raiders, you know, they still lost. I mean, they still only scored, what, 20 points in that game? It wasn't, you know. Interceptions killed them. They should have beat the Chargers. If, if Derek Carr doesn't throw three interceptions, they'd win that game. Yeah, so scored 19 points. Maybe it gets better. Again, we saw a lot of good offenses struggle, um, you know, this season. As far as the AFC goes, the Titans, the, the Titans, the Bengals, and uh, Chargers, Raiders, Colts, New England, I mean, they all they all struggled as far as offense goes. Tennessee, Tennessee Titans were the number one seed in the AFC last week. They looked awful. They lost to New York Giants. They looked like they were really missing A.J. Brown. Cincinnati Bengals, again, we talked about them before. Don't know what was going on there. Chargers, I, they, they looked all right, but we I don't know. We expected more from them. It doesn't seem... I guess because the ball got spread around so much, it doesn't seem like the Chargers did as much as we thought. I'm getting ahead of myself here, but um, yeah. Other than that, some other guys that went places: Marquise Brown, Juju Smith-Schuster, Christian Kirk, DJ Chark, Jarvis Landry. All those guys popped. I mean, Jarvis Landry really popped off in his new place. Juju Smith-Schuster, Christian Kirk, DJ Chark. They all saw. It. I expected more from Marquise Brown. Did you? Yeah, I did. Note DeAndre Hopkins, Rondell Moore's out. I expected more than four catches. Tell you that much. But again, 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 I wasn't anticipating the Cardinals' offense to get absolutely bullied by the Chiefs' defense, or were they bullied by the Chiefs' offense? I'm not really because they were uh, how many points the Chiefs were putting up. You know what I'm saying? Uh, they were getting bullied by the defense. Kyler Murray, 22 of 34 for 193 about, yards. We just 5.7 yards per completion. We'll just you know we'll just correct it to the Cardinals' entire organization got bullied by the Chiefs on Sunday. Yeah, so here's the thing that kind of, I guess the surprising part is, uh, you know, Marquise Brown, only the six targets, four catches, 43 yards. He didn't get the touchdown, so kind the of bows you out. him out. I mean, it was a very mediocre day before so the touchdown. Here's my question, though. Are we realistically projecting this role for Greg Dortch going forward, who got nine mm, targets? No. But, I, understand, no. I understand it's disappointing for Marquise Brown. I'm not expecting Greg Torch to maintain this role, and I expect Marquise Brown, especially if Rondell Moore and DeAndre Hopkins, out to get more than just you know six targets going forward. But it, like you said, I I had him in a lot of daily fantasy things because like uh, the same as you, uh, no DeAndre Hopkins, no Rondell Moore, Zach Hertz was banged up, didn't know whether or not he was going to go. It seemed like he should have been fed the ball. Should but I, I expected ten targets at least. Yeah. I mean, Kyler Murray, it, it, uh, it might have been a Kyler Murray thing, man. 5.7 yards per completion. I don't know what to tell you there. That's uh, that's bad. Um, so, yeah, Marquise Brown a little down on that. Juju. He was solid. Solid. Christian Kirk solid. Chark yeah. solid. Landry a little more than solid. Yeah, it was impressive. I got him written down as impressive. 
let's go to the wide receivers and who places who did not do so well. Amari Cooper, Allen Robinson, Julio Jones, Russell Gage. Eh, I, I got Julio looking good. I think I had him there. I What did I... Why did I... I was wishy-washy on Julio Jones and where I wanted to put him in the listings. I so. mean, you know, like, we again, we got temper expectations. We can't go into thinking we're getting Julio of three, four years ago, you know? Right, so I think what got me is I think I, I think I saw him get pulled out of the game at one point for getting, uh, I think what happened was he mouthed off to Tom. Not like mouthed off like directly to him, but Said something. there was a pass that they threw that Julio wanted to go into the end zone. He basically screamed down the field and, you know, like throw it into the end zone or place it in the end zone. And I remember seeing Julio Jones on the sideline for the next uh, few plays. I don't know if it was the whole series or anything like that, but it seemed like, you know, I... Yelling at Tom Brady, telling Tom Brady how to do his job at quarterback, probably not a good way. No, it's not a good idea. Um, to go, so How many Super Bowls has Julio got? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, don't tell so, that man how to do his job. All right, so Julio Jones, five targets, three catches for 69 yards. So 9.9 yard, 9.9 fantasy points. His long catch, uh, he had a catch for 48 yards. So his other two catches combined for a total of 21 yards. So, I mean... He had three catches. Again, I felt it's weird because once Chris Godwin went out, you felt like somebody was going to step up and be in that role, and it seemed like he's going to be Julio. And then again, what I said happened happened, and it seemed like they took him off the field. Like, yeah, I mean, so. I, I thought he looked decent. You know, I'm not expecting him to be a wide receiver two or three going forward. Not expecting him to hold there, up over the course of the season. Yeah, but there there could be some weeks here and there, spot starts where he gives you flex value, and I, I again, not necessarily for week one. Am I looking? At the production with a guy like Julio, we know the track record. We know he can right. play him. We're looking the way he moves, the way he was running his routes, how crisp they were, in and out of his breaks. Was he getting up there on them jump balls again like he used to? Things like yeah. that, you know. I guess I came away a little more unimpressed because that whole game, that whole offense, and the whole game uh, yeah, was, was oh. unimpressive. And bo- we're the big we're that <laughs> game set the that, that set the game of football back a decade. Watching that. Like, we're some of the biggest football guys out there, and every one of us here was ready to tap out of that game by halftime. That game was painful, man. Like I felt like I was, I felt like I was intruding upon Mike and Keith by staying here yeah, to watch man. the rest of that game. That game gave off vibes you'd get at a funeral. All right, and then Russell Gage, uh, also a little bit, also a, not a little bit, was a disappointment in yeah, that game. Only two targets. Below, below expectations, man, for sure. I mean, he's been banged up for all preseason, so he hasn't been working there. So I honestly didn't even know that he was going to play in this game. We'll see with Chris Godwin being out now. Is it going to be it? Your choices are Julio Jones or Russell Gage for who's going to be the number two if Chris Godwin misses an extended period of time. It already seems like Chris Godwin's going to miss next week with a hamstring injury that happened in this game because they brought him back. Too soon. Too soon. You didn't need him. Got a little soft tissue. Got another soft tissue injury. If you don't give him the rest now, it'll linger all season. Just give him some time and let him rest. All right. So let's move on from that then, and we'll just hop back into the game recaps where we left off. Green Bay Packers versus Minnesota Vikings. Green Bay Packers looked like they desperately missed Devontae Adams. Yeah, it, it looked like they're still figuring things out. I mean, the young wide receivers... Rodgers wasn't on the same page with them. Um, Watson, Christian Watson had that bad drop. Uh, that's, yeah. uh, I think people aren't really talking about it. I hear a lot of people mention how Minnesota put the beat down on Green Bay. And they did, rightfully so. It was 7 nothing. Christian Watson catches that ball. That's a touchdown. It's 7-7. It's a different ball game. 
And, and where we could be talking about a completely different outcome. Has he? And I'm not trying to put too much all the no, blame, good. like all no, the all the blame yeah. on the kid and this, that, and the th- momentum's and a real thing in football. Games. Yeah, and, and people are acting like the Viking. The Vikings played a great game. They look good, but people are downgrading Green Bay real bad. But for everybody, forget what happened last year. Thirty-eight to three, they exactly. lost to the Saints. Like Rodgers will figure it out. Dude's back-to-back MVP. Like he'll, he'll get there with his receivers. It might take a couple weeks. They might be two and two after four. Or something like that, but come the back half. They're they're gonna be humming the back half of the year. That offense will be moving. So you know, I was a big Christian Watson guy. Very disappointed with the drop that he had there. Um, I will say what I find. I don't think it's helpful for when that happens for Roger to do that look that he did, that he shot over the sidelines, and we all saw that. I right think we all interpreted the same thing. He looked and he's like, "See, that's why I don't want these rookies out here. Get this dude off the field." Yeah, yeah. and it's one of those things where it's like that. You know, I, I understand what you're feeling. Could maybe don't express that on public television in front of everybody because, like, if it, I don't think that's going to help his confidence at all after that drop. You know what I mean? Where it's like you, you make that look, and it's like he's like, "Oh, well, I might as well just go sit on the bench now." Yeah, like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm I'm done for the rest of the season he's now. I've lost his draft MVP. Yeah. yeah, it's like so. I I don't know. I, I felt like that was a little bit of a a bad look, or you know, not the best move as as far as building that chemistry and establishing him. That being said, at the same time, you know, I would also look at Rodgers and be like, hey, man, how'd them veterans work out for you there? Yeah, they didn't do much better, man. They really didn't. So as far as uh, as far as far receiving goes, Romeo Dobbs, number one receiver as far as, like, actual receivers and tight ends goes. Five targets, four catches for 37 yards. Robert Tanyan, who we thought might be a little more involved with the absence of the pass catchers and some previous, you know, trust established with Rodgers with all those touchdowns he had the one year. Five targets. Three catches, 36 yards, unless he scores a touchdown, which the Packers did not do in this game. So, I, my opinion hasn't changed on Tanya where he is. He's still another tight end that's going to get a touchdown to be a top, <laughs> to be a tight end 8 to 12. He's going to yeah. need to score a touchdown just to even get to that. It's kind of where Robert Tanya's at and has been at. Christian Watson, two catches on four targets for 34 yards, plus that drop. That would have been like a 40, 50, 60 yard touchdown. I don't even remember how long. Uh, it might have been more than that. Um, but you know we don't see Samori Tori on here. Uh, Sammy Watkins three catches for eighteen yards. Randall you Cobb know. two for fourteen. Yeah, not much. Right. So the you have told me when the, before the game started that AJ Dillon would be the leading receiver for the Packers. I'd have laughed at you. Yeah, I would have <laughs> laughed at you. Six targets for AJ Dillon five catches forty six yards. Aaron Jones five targets three catches for twenty seven yards. Both of them involved in the passing game. Uh, A.J. Dillon, just overall more touches in this game. He had 10 carries for 45 yards and a touchdown. Aaron Jones, 5 carries for 49 yards. Yeah, Jones is more explosive, but Dillon, he, he looked good. See, this is a situation where I understand going to Dillon at the goal line. Aaron Jones, a little bit of a smaller back, a little more explosive, and runs across the field. Dillon's the quadzilla. Dillon's the quadzilla, <laughs> let him run in. And so, that is to say, going forward, I would expect that Dylan would probably still lead the team in carries. I expect the targets to go, the targets and receptions to go a little bit more towards Aaron Jones. I agree. And it's basically a matter of, I think, do you feel that A.J. Dillon's running in a touchdown this week or is Aaron Jones going to catch a touchdown this week? I would probably lean on a week more towards Aaron Jones or A.J. Dillon running one in. But at the same time, it's one of those things where if A.J. Dillon runs one in, he might just barely outproduce Aaron Jones. If neither one scores a touchdown, 
I feel Aaron Jones will typically come out on top in those situations. So minus a touchdown, Aaron Jones is the guy I would be banking on to lead in fantasy points I, from that backfield. I think we're getting very, very close to a Chubb and Hunt situation where they're both startable. And I also think, I, I didn't kind of slip my mind at the time, but we could be trending that way in Jacksonville also. With ETN and Robinson. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I could see that happen in both those situations. So, um, so at this moment, we are still exactly where we were prior to week one as far as the Packers Panthers go. That is a solid hold on everybody. And yeah, we'll see. Maybe Alan Lazard comes back and is the wide receiver one. Cause maybe he really maybe. is going to be this wide receiver one it on this team be. and be the next Devontae Adams. What Jordy we Nelson. just saw, maybe. Um, on the flip side of that. Vikings look sharp. Vikings, so sharp. Vikings look sharp. I will say this. So, Jair Alexander, I don't think he lined up against Justin Jefferson at all in the game. I think he had zero snaps what, against Justin Jefferson. What I saw was um, he about, was it 85 or 90%? I forget the exact number, but he was, Justin Jefferson was matched up on a linebacker or a safety for a, a majority of the of his coverage routes, that, or the, the catches that he made when he was out. Um he was get create the mismatch was created. And he was just eating up their linebackers and their their safeties. So yeah, that makes sense because I was watching the game and at several points during this game, as has happened before with Justin Jefferson, I just look over and I see him make this catch and I look to the people in the room around me and I say, "How is he that wide open? Mm-hmm. There was nobody else on like they ca- the camera shot job. over onto him and there was nobody else in camera view." It wasn't like a zoom-in close-up shot. It was an above-field camera shot. They go over to Justin Jefferson. Nobody no else is in the camera him. shot. <laughs> How is Justin Jefferson that wide open? Jair Alexander, one of the best corners in the NFL, the top corner on your team, is not shadowing Justin Jefferson. You have linebackers and safeties covering one of the best wide receivers in the game. Hey, man, the coach can scheme up the mismatch. They did it for Cooper Cup last year. What is for Jefferson? Is there a defense? Is there a def- uh, there are defensive coordinators and defensive coaches who are supposed to like? So this is because this is the other thing I saw is that like this is one of the things where again I, I don't I could never make a finish NFL team because I would go rogue. Jair Alexander had said you know leading up to the game he had asked the coaches several times to give him the matchup so that he could shadow Justin Jefferson, and. He just said, you know, but at the end of the day, it's a team game. It's about the team's plan. I'm going to do what's best for the team. And I was like, well, what's best for the team would have been if you chatted Justin Jefferson. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, like, that's a team where, like, somebody needs to make the decision. And I was like, if the coaches won't do it, like, Jair Alexander needs to make that decision go rogue. And go, I was like, listen, whatever he pl- calls the play, that's fine. Line up in that formation, I'm covering Justin Jefferson. Whatever, whoever was supposed to be where Justin Jefferson is and pick up that coverage, we're switching. I'm covering him. Yes, that means if he, Justin Jefferson is going to be lined up across the linebacker, I'm lining up at linebacker, and you're lining up at corner because this ain't happening. I don't know. They never made an adjustment for it. It was awful. Justin Jefferson, great, uh, great player, 11 targets, 9 catches for 184 yards and 2 touchdowns. Ball. How do you let that happen? Uh, it's not to take away anything from Justin Jefferson to say it shouldn't happen, but like you as a defense playing against you know the only real competition in your division, as far as you know going for the crown. Like we like the Lions, they're competitive. The Bears were not too particularly high on, but this is the team that you need to beat to show that you can win a division. And you, you let the biggest threat on the field run free all game. Mm-hmm. Dalvin Cook, twenty carries for ninety yards, solid game. 
didn't really need to be involved when the Vikings are letting Justin Jefferson run three. Kind of like we said with A.J. Brown. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. If they're going to let Justin Jefferson be open like that, then we're just going to throw it to Justin Jefferson. Why do anything else? stop him, so, you know. Cook still had 20 carries, you know. He had five targets, three catches for 18 yards. He's still involved in the offense. On a day where you're not playing the lifeless Packers and you're playing, you know, a competent team that actually has it going together, I'm sorry, I don't mean to just take that insult of the Packers. There are plenty of offenses that look completely out of sorts this week one. It's week one. Going forward, Dalvin Cook be a little bit more involved in the passing game, score a touchdown. Don't worry. Don't panic on Dalvin Cook yet. Yeah, no, I don't panic. Yeah. Alexander Madison, eight carries. He's still Dalvin Cook is still clearly the primary workhorse running back in, the, in Minnesota, and it looks like it's going to be a good offense this year. So, uh, Ty Jandler, another rookie running back, healthy scratch for that game, you know. Adam Thielen, KJ Osborne didn't really do too much. We'll see how that unfolds for the rest of the season. I mean, they didn't need much when Jefferson was cooking the way yeah, he was. Yeah, exactly. It's hard to gain much from anybody other than Justin Jefferson yeah. from this last game. So, we'll just move on from that then. And we are going next to the Los Angeles Chargers versus the Las Vegas Raiders. Talked about these guys a little bit earlier. Uh, Devontae Adams obviously feasted, came at the expense of Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller. So Darren Waller had six targets, caught four catches for 79 yards, 11.9 points. Solid, man. Solid for the type. But again, when you're – the talk was, you know uh, – or, you know, talk's typically been Darren Waller is a top five tight end. We usually expect a little bit more from the guys that we're automatically putting in. And again, just a bad day all around for tight ends in the NFL, but – it's just concerning that he only has four catches because I don't know that he's typically going to get 79 yards on his four catches. That's not mm-hmm. usually what tight ends do. Well, I See, I see Carr being able to support, too. I think Renfro definitely takes a little bit of a hit this year. I think Waller will be okay. I just I just look at the interceptions that Carr threw. I'm not expecting him to throw that many every week. That's, just, that's going to lead to more opportunities. Yeah, so... Hunter Renfro, six targets, three catches for 21 yards. Um, again, that's just kind of – so I guess where we're at is if each of them are getting six targets a week, I almost, I guess I'd expect the yardage to be flipped, where I would expect you know closer to 79 yards from Hunter Renfro and 21 from Waller than how it went this week, where Waller got 79 Hunter Renfro got 21. Maybe I'm out of line. I think it's uh, – Let it's me more... clarify, because that's a huge – that's a greater skew than I think. Let me clarify. I think Hunter Renfro cl- finished closer – 50 to 60 yards per week with four catches, and Andrew and uh, what's his name Waller will finish closer to 40 to 50 yards each week with his four catches. I see it more like Adams clearly the number one. Waller is their number two guy who they're going to use up the seams a lot, looking to get push the ball down the field in the middle of the field, and Renfro is going to be their third down, first down sticks guy. You know what I'm saying? You get to the sticks, and we're going to get you the ball. And that may be four catches one week. It may be five. It may be two. I, I see him. It may be a touchdown. Like I think third downs, getting to the sticks, and in the red zone is where Renfro is going to be most effective. Everywhere else, it's going to be Adams and Waller, in my opinion. Yeah. And then um, there was a lot of talk this offseason about, like, there's been a lot of discussion about Josh Jacobs and, you know, the uh, the pass-catching running back on the Las Vegas Raiders. You know, Mike, Mike McDaniel is going to – have a James White type running back. Um, when you have Devontae Adams, you don't need to throw a bunch of passes to your running back. So you don't need it. Uh, targets for the running backs: you had one for Josh Jacobs and one for Amir Abdullah. So 
this was an offense that already didn't really throw to the running backs. They now have Devontae Adams. Man, how about all that hype for Amir Abdullah being a pass catching back this year? Like, man, I think I saw him drafted in a league. That's a shame. Josh Jacobs, 10 carries for 57 yards. It's not like somebody else stole the carries. The, the, the Raiders only ran the ball th- 13 times. So Brandon Bolden got three carries. Josh Jacobs got 10, 57 yards. It's disappointing for Josh Jacobs. He'd had the one catch for, you know, 16 yeah. yards. So gets you, you know, about eight fantasy points. They were down a lot, too, in that game. They were down early, 17-3. to Kind of took away some opportunities. Right, but so that's something to think about going forward. They were down in this game against the Chargers, you know, their division rival, high-scoring thing. And I know there was the interceptions and all that, but they're not targeting the running backs yeah. in their game. So uh, optimism for Josh Jacobs being anything higher than what he's been in the past few years is completely gone for me. Um, in all honesty, I think it just more tempers my – it makes me more inclined to be willing to drop Samir White to pick up Kyle Phillips. <laughs> hey, here we are, man. Coming around. Here we go. <laughs> Only took us a little bit of going through the episode to figure it all here out. Here we go. Uh, so, on the flip side of that, we have the Chargers. Keenan Allen got hurt, suffered a hamstring injury, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. He initially said that he would be good to go for next week. Doesn't then he was good. reminded that they are playing on Thursday night football. Like, don't expect him to play. So, I, I don't see it. I don't really see it either. I don't imagine Keenan Allen will play in this upcoming week. That brings us to the question of... Who do we go to in his absence? I mean, as crazy as it sounds, Mike Williams has a history of playing well in Kansas City, and that's where they're at on Thursday with no Keenan Allen. So, I mean, if you're in the Daily Fantasy, fire up Mike Williams. Okay. And so, again, the risk with that is Mike Williams could also do what Mike Williams does, which is what he did this week where he had two (laughs) catches for 10 yards on four targets. In a game in which Keenan Allen left early. So that's the concerning part is Keenan Allen left early in this game and you would expect more targets to go to Mike Williams and he had four targets to end the game. We've seen though prior when either Mike Williams or Keenan Allen missed last year, we saw Josh Palmer step in and have pretty productive games. Jalen Guyton had also filled in in some of the games that they missed last year. And also I think Josh Palmer and Jalen Guyton in the three games they each filled in for them missing, both put up around 15 fantasy points in all of those games. Guyton seems to have fallen out of favor of the new coaching staff, fallen behind Palmer on the depth chart and DeAndre Carter. So your choices, the top two choices for me then would be between uh, Mike Williams and Josh Palmer, with me leaning towards Palmer. And I say that because some people might be thinking about using DeAndre Carter, who had four targets, three catches for 64 yards and a touchdown. I want to again remind you, he just scored a touchdown on four targets, if he doesn't get that touchdown, he's got 9.4 fantasy points for you. Touchdowns are very risky to bank on. You want to bank more on volume than you do on touchdown or on touchdowns in this game in fantasy football. So he's got the same amount of targets as you know Mike Williams and Josh Palmer. But as someone who had DeAndre Carter last year in a league, I can tell you this happened before. He came out, put up 16, 17 points in a game. I was like, oh, man, let me throw him out there in this flex spot. It's a deep league where we have multiple flex spots to fill in. Threw him out there, and he donut. Zero points for me the next week. So I think this may have been more of a situation where DeAndre Carter happened to be the next man up who filled in the role that Keenan Allen was filling in. And I think with an actual game time to develop a game plan, knowing you won't have Keenan Allen, 
It'll shift more towards, hey, let's get the ball to Mike Williams, Joshua Palmer, Austin Eckler, who we didn't talk about yet in this game. Four targets, four catches for 36 yards, 14 carries, also 36 yards. No touchdowns for Austin Eckler. He got 18 touches between the passing game and the running game. He wasn't particularly effective with those as he has been in the past. Again, it's week one. Better days are ahead for this offense. We expect them to be productive going forward. You're happy with the volume. Exactly. Look at the volume. Production will be there. Just give it time. So, uh, Joshua Kelly, that being said, too, looked like the number two back there. Still only had four carries, two targets, so six total touches for the backup. Again, it's the Austin Eckler show. I just mentioned that because there was some talk about Isaiah Spiller possibly being the backup. It seems like when he got hurt towards the end of the preseason, he kind of lost the edge he had in that role. But that being said, we've also seen Joshua Kelly fill in for Austin Eckler, and I'm not like I'm not making any moves to stash Joshua Kelly. If, if nope. Eckler goes down, it'll either be a committee or it will end up being Spiller. I don't really bank Maybe on Sony Michelle. Do you want to stash? I mean, seven carries for 12 yards. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm cool. Rushing to stash Sony Michelle. <laughs> yeah, I'm cool on that backfield outside of Eckler. Yeah. All right, so moving on then to the rivals who will play on Thursday Night Football. The Kansas City Chiefs absolutely slacked the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, they, they beat the brakes off them. 44-21, it wasn't that close. So Yeah, the score was closer than the game was. Yeah. The, they, they, they really put it on them. They put the paws on them and smacked them and tossed them around all game. It was, it was something to see. That offense did not miss a beat without Tyreek Hill. Patrick Mahomes came out slinging that thing around. Five touchdowns. It was like, Tyreek who? Don't matter. I'm just, I'm Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. So, and that's one of those things, too, where you look, it's like the Packers lost Devontae Adams. They come out week one, they look listless. Now, in all fairness, they look like that week one last year. So maybe it's just Rodgers needs that week to warm up. Maybe should show up for the last week of preseason then, if that's the case, and save them a loss on the schedule. Uh, Tyree, or Patrick Mahomes loses Tyree Kill, doesn't miss a beat, comes out, does what he does. And so Patrick Mahomes, 30 completions on 39 attempts for 360 yards and five touchdowns, no interceptions. 9.2 average per, per completion. Kansas City ran 66 offensive snaps, had 66 offensive snaps in this game. They had 33 first downs. Wow. That's how badly they beat this Arizona Cardinal team. So what the Arizona Cardinals did that they shouldn't have done is they blitzed. The Arizona Cardinals blitzed on fifty on fifty-four percent of Patrick Mahomes dropbacks. They blitzed. Fifty-four percent of the time they blitzed. They had a zero percent pressure rate. <laughs> they did not generate a pressure. They blitzed. 54% of the time and so didn't generate ran, a pressure. So they ran 66 snaps, the Chiefs did. 54% of that is, we're up with 34. Or I'm sorry, so 37? how many, pa- I'm sorry, it's the dropbacks. So 39 dropbacks. 39 dropbacks. Half of that, so 18, 19 plays where you blitz. Didn't, didn't generate a single pressure. One. On 19 wow. blitz plays. That's almost impossible to do, I feel like. Like, one time you get lucky, and the, and the guy misses a blocking assignment, and you get in. It has to, right? One out of 18? Like, something. one of those times you have that, that's... Wow. Uh, what happened in this game is the Arizona Cardinals' defense is just bad. Like... They had no J.J. Watt. I think they're missing somebody else, too, but, I mean... No J.J. Watt to generate pass rush. 
They lost a bunch of people in free agency on the defensive side. Like this, I went through earlier before when I talked about, I went down one of those rabbit holes where I was looking at offensive lines. And it's like, you know, the Eagles was the number one rated offensive line according to Pro Football Focus and some other ones. And so I started looking into just rosters overall. The Arizona Cardinals were outside of the top 16 when it came to just about every position. group position in their ranking. Yeah, like it's not like individual players, but like if you went and ranked the offensive line. Outside the top 16. Defensive line. Outside the top. Secondary. Outside the top. You know, it, just like everything was just seemed like it was not there. You've got Kyler Murray. You've got DeAndre Hopkins. You've got James Conner. Zach Ertz. And that's about it on this team. So it was one of the things where other shows that are listening were really down on the Arizona Cardinals. I was like, they could, you know, maybe do something. And it's like kind of after seeing this, it's like, oh, this is why we're so down on the Arizona Cardinals, huh? Yeah, huh? When you blitz 54% of dropbacks and don't generate a single pressure. 39 dropbacks, you didn't generate a single pressure? Like, what? <laughs> so, so that means to me that the nine, like you know, the nine incompletions Patrick Mahomes had, he just didn't hook up with his guys. Like, it had nothing to do with anybody being in his face, and he had to get rid of it. It was just, oh man. So that's, uh, yeah. Man. And this is the thing where teams don't typically blitz against Patrick Mahomes. Like, yeah, you want to sit back eight in coverage on average and him check down and beat you that way. That's been that was the game plan. That's what's worked the past two seasons since 2018. On average, teams blitz. Patrick Mahomes, 18.8% of dropbacks. Wow. So I guess Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury thought he had the recipe, huh? Yeah. This is what I'm saying. This is one of those things where coaches seem like they're getting too clever for themselves here, you know? What made you think that your blitz was going to be more effective than any other team's <laughs> blitz back there? It's like, uh, I don't know. It's one of those things where you, you can't leave the back end open because Patrick Mahomes will find somebody to make a play to. And he sure did that in this game, distributing the ball around to all of his pass catchers. We had nine different pass catchers catch a ball for the Kansas City yeah, Chiefs. That's going to be tough picking each week who's going to be the one. We know Kelsey will be. And then it looks like Juju will be their number one wide receiver. But outside of that, it's it's a good luck picking that every week. Travis Kelsey had nine targets. Caught eight of them for 121 yards and a touchdown. It's what we expected. Hey, at this point, I, I, I feel comfortable in saying that Travis Kelsey is going to be the number one tight end going forward for the season. You looks know? that way. Our other options were Mark Andrews for Baltimore Ravens. They seemed like they were struggling a little bit, and they got you know they won that game 24 to three. Andrews didn't do much in that game. Um, George Kittle's hurt now. Like there's no Kyle Pitts, Kyle Pitts has Marcus Mariota as his quarterback. He's on the Falcons. I mean. He seems like he's going to be not just like the number one, like it's not just being number one. He's the number one wide receiver on this team essentially now. Uh, Juju had eight targets, second most on the team, six catches for 79 yards, no touchdowns. He looked good, looked impressive. Um, Yeah, I guess I was more down on Juju in the offseason, but I think it was more sometimes you hear some things and it was like basically what I heard is like I heard one argument being made against Allen Robinson and it's like his age and like it was that it wasn't just his age his age was never meant made in the argument is that he wasn't efficient last year in the offense and Darnell Mooney and Cole Komet were and that should indicate that Allen Robinson was the problem and not that and I'm sitting there and they start talking about Juju Smith-Schuster in the Chiefs offense and how he could possibly be a top 15 wide receiver in the league or a top 10 wide receiver in the league if he emerges as Patrick Mahomes number one offense and I'm sitting there, I'm like, how does the argument not apply to Juju Smith-Schuster? Because I look at Deontay Johnson and Pat Fryermuth, and they were both vastly more successful than Darnell Mooney and Cole Komet were last year, and Juju wasn't doing anything. So, like, the argument that applies to Allen Robinson should apply to Juju. It was one of those things where, like, because of that, like, I just kind of, I guess I held it against Juju yeah. all offseason and had him lower than that. 
again, he only had 13.9 fantasy points in a game in which the Chiefs scored 44 points overall. So we'll see. I don't imagine Clyde Edwards-Alaire is going to catch two damp touchdown passes every yeah. game going forward, though. So we'll see if, if uh, what happens. But, I mean, if he's getting 13 points a game and then can get a touchdown on top of that going forward, yeah, he's going to crush solid. the ADP yeah. that he was drafted at. For sure. Um, one thing I... I was excited about during the game. It was garbage time, but seeing Isaiah Pacheco get some run, 60 yards and a touchdown, he looked good. Eric Grantley, it was garbage time. It didn't mean anything, but just seeing uh, him get some run and do it against uh, NFL players in a legit game, that's not preseason. You know, it was it was cool. It was cool. So, watch. yeah, let's talk about that a little bit more, though, just again for some people who may just be casual, you know, fantasy players and aren't necessarily watching every game or looking at all the breakdowns. If you look at the box score, it looks like Isaiah Pacheco might have been the starting running back for the Kansas City Chiefs. When you look and see that he's got 12 carries for 62 yards and a touchdown. And you would look at that and think, oh man, this is a running back by committee. Clyde Edwards-Alaire was in there for the first quarter, the second quarter. He was in there pretty much... I think Pacheco played maybe like one or two plays in like the first half or something like that before they started really blowing him out. In the second half when the game was clearly out of hand... Clyde Edwards-Alaire, they put him on the bench and rested him. He had, had Last year he had been struggling with some injuries. There's no need to risk him when you're banged at the beginning. And when he was out there, seven carries for 42 yards, six yards per carry. Just watching him, when we saw him, uh, when we saw some of the plays, you know, coming up on red zones and the carries that he was getting, he looked good. He looked kind of the way you said about Miles Sanders, where I don't know about as much as the vision and all that, but he looked... Again, like he was finding holes that he wasn't finding last year. He wasn't dead. He wasn't dead on first contact. He was finding ways to create plays. And then, uh, in addition to that, three three targets, three catches for thirty two yards, two touchdowns. Now, again, as I've mentioned with everybody else, he caught two touchdowns on three targets. I don't imagine that's going to happen going forward. It's hard to sustain that. But again, the point was in the first half of the game, he essentially he played one half of a game. He had three targets. Seven carries. He's at the ten touch mark for you in one half of the game, and got two touchdowns along the way. And then they said rest him. If, Who knows what that game could have looked like if it was competitive right. and they didn't bench him. He might so. be near twenty touches at that point if it's a competitive game. So, and again, because again, he's also effective with it. Six yards per carry and t- ten yards per catch. So, I mean, what? And, and that's with can keep in mind that one of his catches for the touchdown was just a little shuffle pass mm-hmm. that he took in. So Man, it was it was encouraging to see them use him in the red zone, even though it was passes. But like that's why they drafted the dude. The dude was a great pass catching back coming out of LSU. That was everybody was like, oh, this is a pass catcher. But this is what is he? Perfect fit. Perfect fit. Now three years later, they're going to start using him the right way. Right. The third season. I was going to say that's so what he, surprised me too. Is like when he came out, that's what we all thought yeah. about as we talked, and that's how. We talked about him, then it came time to use him and play him. And again, kind of like the, how we talked about earlier, the narrative with uh, who it was in the offseason, with Kadarius Tony. The narrative in the offseason was one thing, where it's going to be the pass catching back, he's going to be involved. Then the start of the season got to get there, and it was all of a sudden like, they're going to use Clyde Edwards Glare at the goal line. He might be their, you know, their, their bruiser back, the guy who gets those red zone carries, and we might not use him in the passing game. We're going to use, you know, Darrell Williams and things like that. And then they go out there in the first game, they have him run up the middle. I think there was like three plays in a row where they had him run up in the middle from like the third yard line. He didn't get any of them. And I was like, he's 5'9", like 180 or something. Maybe like a toss. Maybe yeah, a like, swing pass. Maybe and use the Anything other but like, run the little dude right up the middle into the and, into the big, into the trees. And like, it's one of those things on. where it's like this. Everybody's got eyes on you. You were given three chances to do it, and you got nowhere on those three chances. It had to have 
played, it had to have affected him a little bit in it, and just their perception of him, everybody's perception of him really going forward. So it looks good for Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Again, one of those things where don't overreact, don't sell the house at Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Let's see what happens this upcoming week. Although they're playing the Chargers, should be another high-scoring game. Yeah, we'll see. And the flip side of that, the Arizona Cardinals. We talked about before, we were kind of disappointed with Marquise Brown. We're not buying Greg Dortch, who had seven catches for 63 yards on nine targets. I'm not putting a whole lot of stock in that. Keep him, keep him. you know, Fantasy App will have that thing where you can put, like, uh, you know, I'm interested in this guy, or keep an eye on this guy. Check that off. Don't make any waiver claims for him just yet. DeAndre Hopkins is also going to come back at some point. Rondell Moore may be healthy and be back soon. James Conner, 10 carries for 26 yards and a touchdown. Also had six targets, five catches for 29 yards. Absent that touchdown, this would have been a very disappointing day for James Conner. About nine points or so, ten points. Yeah, I mean, so are we projecting the Cardinals' offense to be a little bit better than this going forward? Like, we can't expect them to be this, this abysmal every week, right? I can't expect them to be this bad every week. I don't know how much better. Like, they scored 21 points. So, I guess the biggest thing for me would be I would expect more passing yards. Um, I'm expecting less Eno Benjamin, four carries for 28 yards. Although, maybe not. Because if we're looking at it, Eno Benjamin, four carries for 28 yards. James Conner got 26 on 10 carries. So, I I don't know what to make of this offense. I feel like without DeAndre Hopkins and Rondell Moore, they really were struggling to figure out what they were going to do. And that's part again. That's part of the reason that Dorch did what he did. Is this offense is a very specific offense? DeAndre Hopkins lines up on the left side. AJ Green lines up on the right side. Marquise Brown or Rondell Moore will be in the slot. If somebody gets hurt, players don't get moved around. If DeAndre Hopkins goes down, Rondell Moore or Marquise Brown don't get moved over there. AJ Green doesn't get moved. They just put the next man up, who happened to have been Greg Dorch. So I don't know whose role he was filling though. If it was AJ Green's or. Rondell Moore's or DeAndre Hopkins, whoever is supposed to be. I'm not. I, I'm. Yeah, I'm not sure I expect either. the offense to be slightly better. I don't know how much I. Again, just everything I'm seeing is this looks like it's a bad roster. Yeah, it does. So. Right. Kyler Murray, you're keeping hold on to. Hopefully, better days ahead. Only five carries for 29 yards, 193 passing yards. Still got you two touchdowns. So. Yeah, I mean, it looks like it's only four guys for right now: Murray, Connor, Marquise, and Ertz. Yeah. And uh, Connor's something to keep an eye on going forward. Again, I was a little more down on to begin with from the start of the season, so me and I were just looking for excuses, but seemed ineffective in this game based off of when you look at the numbers. Has never really held up for a, has n- not never really has never held up for a full season before. So we'll see what happens. Uh, next game we're gonna hop down to. <laughs> Do we want to call it a game? I mean. We could get through this one quick. This one was not. Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Dallas Cowboys. Wow. So let's just go through the numbers real quick. Tom Brady, 18 of 27 for 212 yards, a touchdown and interception. That seems vastly different from what they did last year in week one. Dak Prescott, 14 of 29 for 134 yards, zero touchdowns and an interception. So Tom Brady and Dak Prescott combined. Four, fewer than 400 passing yards between the two of them. Uh, one touchdown and two interceptions. It's a bad game. It's tough to watch. <laughs> this is like, if you had told me that this would have been the stat line for the Bears-49ers game, 
That's what I would have thought we were talking about here. This was the Bucks versus the Cowboys. So the Buccaneers were a little bit let's listen. My level of worry for the two teams is much greater for both a fantasy and NFL perspective for the Dallas Cowboys Absolutely. than it is for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, Dak's out for at least six weeks. Dak I Prescott mean, suffered a thumb fracture. This was almost one of those things where it's like you – this is almost like I feel like the Cowboys had a, have a script somewhere or multiple scripts somewhere, and Jerry Jones, after seeing what was going on in there, like pushed his – you know, all the buttons that he has to make th- to make reality work in a certain way. Dak Prescott looked awful during this game. The entire Cowboys offense looked awful during this game. But you know what's going to happen during this offseason? Everyone's going to minimize that because Dak Prescott suffered an injury towards the end of week one and is going to miss half the season. And so what will happen is the Cowboys will be bad for these next six to eight weeks and they'll probably be out of contention. The Dak will come back and he might win them four out of five or six games at the end there. And then all the Cowboys fans will come back around. They'll be like, well, if Dak had stayed healthy all season, we could have won this. Because when he came back, he won four out of six or, you know, four out of five or whatever it's going to be when he comes back at the end of the season. Like, it, it just it almost seemed too perfect for them as, an, as a reason to not accept that their team is not as good as they always make it out to be. You know what I mean? Hey man, if they want to do that, that's cool. As an Eagles fan, I'm hoping this gives McCarthy another year. Give McCarthy another year, baby. So that leads to an interesting suggestion as well. If you're Mike McCarthy, there was talks this past offseason about them replacing you with Sean Payton. When you won the division and went to the playoffs, you lost Dak Prescott. If you accept that Dak Prescott's out for... Oh, I'm sorry, we forgot. Dr. Jerry Jones earlier decided that they're not going to put Dak on IR because he might be back within three games. That's what Dr. Jerry Jones decided. I hope he I hope he's always in control of this team. Again, we're Eagles fans. I would love nothing better than for Jerry Jones and Mike McCarthy to be the owner and head coach of this team going forward for the next 20 years. Yeah. Would make me ecstatic to know that that's what's going to happen. But if you're Mike McCarthy and you listen to the doctors and you're going to go 8 weeks forward without Dak Prescott, do you make a move for a quarterback? Do you call up the 49ers? And ask about that. So, I think you do. I'm not sure the 49ers answer that call from the Cowboys. I don't know if you want to trade Jimmy to a team you just played in the playoffs last year. Um, Maybe they will, though. Maybe they will. A team you beat in the playoffs last year. A team that with Dak Prescott didn't look good this week. And it's like, if you give them Jimmy G, like, again, not to disrespect Jimmy G or anything, but they didn't look good with Dak Prescott. I don't know that I'm necessarily, I don't think Jimmy G so turns that offense around. Maybe this is controversial, and I don't know, it just kind of popped into my head, but like, at this point, are we sure that Jimmy G and, da- and Dak aren't at the same level? Like, are we sure they're not the same quarterback? So, are you elevating Jimmy G, or are we. De-elevating. I'm ready to downgrade Dak because at what we were year seven at this point, yeah, and we see so. the same things every single year. Like, come on, just it, that's what it is with the Cowboys. It's the same excuses over and over again as to why that they're always going to find something and point it out and pull it and say this is the reason we weren't fans. Like, but at what point do you just stop and say maybe we're just not as good as we're telling ourselves we are? Maybe Dak Prescott's actually not a top five quarterback in this league. Yeah, ESPN like everybody will keep says, telling them how good they are. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so that's, 
I just I, that's well, and that's what I mean. This injury is this injury is going to allow the Cowboys to not do that. They're going to allow them, and Dak will come back and they'll tell themselves that if he struggles, it's because he hurt his hand. Cheer him on, and it's lingering. We encourage effects. that as Eagles fans. Go ahead, give Dak another season. Give McCarthy another season. Jerry Jones, please be GM for life. All I'm going to say is the the last time that this team looked good and they looked the best and looked unstoppable, it was Dak's rookie season. When they expected to have Tony Romo, and then they didn't have Tony Romo, so they went with a run-heavy offense where they were behind one of the best offensive lines mm-hmm. in football and used Dak and used Ezekiel Elliott as their primary Not to means. Of, they had a true number one. Des Bryant was a number one wide receiver. It wasn't Dak's first season. Or no, it was Dak's first season that they went twelve and four into the yeah, playoffs, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. So I just again with the injury, I think it's going to allow themselves to dilute themselves. Uh, that being said, what we do have to talk about is going forward what this means fantasy wise. Uh, I was nervous when Dak was in there for this game, and if Dak's going to miss, here's the thing: if Dak's, I don't know what's worse: if Dak misses eight weeks, six to eight weeks for the offense, or if Dak misses three to four weeks and then they bring him back with a hand that isn't fully where it needs to be, because Russell Wilson came back. Yeah, early from a hand injury last year. Very similar to that situation, and we all saw how poor Russell's accuracy was when he first came back. We did not see the same DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett after that. CD Lamb was 2 of 11 last year. That was was rough, man. I'm ready to downgrade all Cowboys players outside of Zeke. And the reason I say everybody but Zeke, they're going to have to lean on him. They have to at this point. He's going to get work. He's going to get... His targets, he's going to get carries, and most importantly, I think we we, uh, we saw Tony Pollard whiff on some blocks there, and they're going to need him and his pass protection to help Cooper Rush out there. So I, I see him getting more work on the field. So here's here's my issue with relying on Zeke again. I, I'm out on Zeke. I've kind of been out on Zeke. Yeah, I'm, um, again, it's all relative. I don't, I'm not... He's not my RB1. Gotcha. Right? No. I don't want him as my RB1, but I, if again, you told I me really... I could take him as an RB2 or a flex, like... For these next weeks while Dak's out, absolutely. I don't know He's that I want him as my RB two. That's Over, where it's where we're at. Yeah. So let me. So his efficiency has been going down each year in both the passing game and the run game. They have a bad offensive line. I should say, and it got worse. They yes. lost more players last night from that offensive line. So they lost. So Tyron, uh, we know Tyron Smith is is down. He got injured. He's going to be gone most of the season. Maybe back in late December. Probably not. Um, they lost Lyle Collins. In free agency, he went somewhere out, right? Um, they was it was Connor McGovern? Is he the center yeah, that McGovern, they lost? Yep. They just lost him in the game mm-hmm. to an injury. So that team's banged up. And Tyler Smith is not looking like he's going to be a suitable replacement for Tyron Smith. So they're behind a bad offensive line. Zeke will be out there more, like you said. Like Pollard missed on the Swiss, but my problem, my concern is Zeke's going to be out there. And he's going to be blocking. Like, they're going to need him to be in there to block for him. And instead of checking down to Zeke, oh, there might be a bunch of check downs to Dalton Schultz as the safety okay. valve. Yeah, very well. Good. So, that's, a, that's a good point. I forgot all about Schultz. Schultz, nine targets, seven catches for 62 yards last night. He could be their new leading receiver going forward. And, uh, I mean, it's just... Dak had 10 carries for 52 yards. They didn't seem like they really wanted to get in. It's like one of those things where... Oh, well, you know, they were behind, so they needed to throw it. He had two targets. He had one catch for negative three yards on two targets. So how much involved in the past team is going to be? Again, it's just one of those things that shocked me because, like you said, you were optimistic about Zeke. I felt like a lot of people came out of this game optimistic about Zeke, and I'm looking at him like in a game in which they needed to shift to a run 
you know, or, or a, they were behind, essentially, and should be throwing. And in the passing, you're telling me, well, Zeke's the better pass protector. should be out there on the passing down. It's like, okay, he got two targets with that. That's what that led. In a game script that should have been favorable for him to be out there if he's the guy that they're trusting on the passing yeah. down backs. I mean, two yeah. targets. So is he blocking the whole time, or are they not throwing it to him? Like yeah, part you got to take into account too is how poor everybody played. Like I like we say this team's going to be bad, and I expect it to be not be a good team. But I don't know if they're going to be three points every game. No, no, they're yeah. not going to be that bad. Yeah. But. So like there's they're going to move the ball. There's going to be opportunities. It's just I I come away encouraged because Zeke's going to be on the field more. That, that's the way I look at it. I don't know how many more targets it leads to this that, the third. But if you're on the field. There's more opportunity. So, yeah, my concern is, again, with the bad offensive line, the way this offense has looked, um, you know, CeeDee Lamb, 2 of 11, maybe he gets that right and gets it better. But it's one of those things where, again, last year I felt like you had CeeDee Lamb. You were pulling your hair out with him because you never – it was one. Of those, it was like a Mike Williams experience. You never knew when to go off. And all the talk was, well, he's going to get all the volume this year, and he gets the volume. He's going to be a top-five guy, right? 11 targets. I don't, I don't know what much more you could ask for when you get 11 targets. Like – and we watched the game. I didn't feel that they were like, I didn't feel he was being overthrown a lot or like the worms were being fed by Dak mm-hmm. Prescott. I felt they were in range of being catchable balls. I remember one vividly was a drop. So I, it's, it's highly concerning for a guy that was ranked in, as a top 10 wide receiver by a lot of major outlets going into this offseason because mm-hmm. you draft me your wide receiver one. And he's not. And he's not returning that. He got. He barely outscored T. Higgins, who got knocked out of the game in the second quarter. So, you know. Um, other than that, you know, Noah Brown had nine targets, five catches for sixty-eight yards. I don't, okay. I'm not picking him up. Okay, keep an eye on it. I'm not making any moves on him. Yeah. Michael Gallup should be back. Um, oh, another thing to point out in this game: Jalen Tolbert, third-round rookie or fourth-round rookie, healthy scratch to start yeah. this game. They said they felt that he needed more seasoning. Um, maybe they should have double-checked their wide receiving room before they made their third-round rookie wide receiver an inactive and said that he needed more time because, uh, yeah, you're going to Dennis Houston and Simi Fajoko, who, uh, what? Okay, so that was a bad game. We expect the, well, no, with Cooper Rush at quarterback, I don't know that we can necessarily expect too much better from the offense. So, CeeDee Lamb, high level of panic for me. For um, sure. I agree. <laughs> if you can get rid of him for something, I if you can get rid of him for a usable fantasy piece at this point, I'd probably be looking to get rid of him for a usable fantasy piece. I'm not giving away for bench dashes. Again, I want, you know, a wide receiver two, a running back two that somebody's not getting. Again, if somebody's down or... What would be a good example? Who's somebody that you might be looking to grab in exchange for CeeDee Lamb if somebody's down on him? Travis Etienne or Brees Hall? If somebody was willing to offer you, would you do that trade, essentially? Would you be willing to, would you give up CeeDee Lamb to get either Travis Etienne or Brees Hall? Uh, No. I think the perception is a little bit higher in regards to CeeDee. I think you could get more. Okay. Um those are just two names I'm trying to yeah, think where it's like we feel like they underperformed this week as far as what they were supposed to do. But, like, if you look at the numbers and their opportunities, we expect better days ahead for them. Whereas, like, C.D. Lamb, it's just like we've seen the opportunity, and I don't I don't expect opportunity to increase for him. So I don't know if I'm necessarily expecting better days ahead than what he got. That's just all. I was just trying to find something. I can't really think of anybody who yeah, I'm, I'm trying to I'm think. I'm struggling at the moment, too. 
Yeah. All right. Something we'll be more prepared for on a future show. I got one for you. This one is is interesting. Uh, Would you trade C.D. Lamb for Saquon Barkley? I know you don't like either. That's why I ask. (laughs) That's why I ask. I would. Am I trading C.D. Lamb to get Saquon Barkley? I think I would. I'm. I I might consider it in all honesty because again I'm just trying to think again. I'm not trying to do the cop out of you have to think about how your team's constructed. I'm just trying to think of general standpoint. I would have probably more wide receivers stashed that I would feel better about to the point that I could give up a top wide receiver to try to get somebody who could be a top running back. So, like, you know, again, because I'm somebody who grabbed Drake London, Chris Olave, Rashad Bateman, Garrett Wilson. They're all sitting on my bench. I'd be willing to part with C.D. Lamb and get the production from Saquon Barkley at the running back position. Again, almost assuming all things equal. Assuming that I have two starting running backs and two starting wide receivers outside of having Lamb or Barkley, like would I rather gain the additional production from Barkley or Lamb? I think I'm going with Barkley because again, my I think it, so. This more would come down to is one running back touches are a little more guaranteed, you know, because you're going to get handed the ball, so you're guaranteed to get those touches. Yeah. Saquon doesn't really have any competition, and. My concern with Saquon is not necessarily his ability, it's availability. Right. And so it could be one of those things where maybe CeeDee Lamb at the end of the season ends up outscoring him, but it's like Saquon Barkley gets hurt and misses six, seven, eight games, and that's why he ends up outscoring. But while he's healthy and active, he's more productive. I can yeah. put him in there and I know that he's going to be productive and useful. Whereas CeeDee Lamb, it's like I could put him out there. He could have a 2-11 and game and put up four points. He can then go next week and catch six balls on seven targets and have 80 yards on a touchdown and have 20 points, and I just wouldn't know. So I guess I would feel more secure putting Barkley out there on a week with the guaranteed production versus chasing the possible upside of C.D. Lamb with the floor being as, as low as it is. And finally, getting to the last we're not getting, we're at the last game here finally. Denver Broncos versus Seattle Seahawks. We've talked about this a little bit before on our previous show when I went on my little rant there about offenses in the NFL, so we can get through this one a little bit quicker. Denver's offense looked horrible, looked atrocious. It it honestly looked like they were using Ask Madden plays. Like you know what I mean? Like they were just they were running a simulation and they were selecting Ask Madden as far as what play they should run every time. It's like, oh, you know, well the opposing team's defense is vulnerable against the tight end position, so focus the tight ends and not your star wide receivers and running backs. They they look ill prepared in just about every facet of the game. So from a fantasy perspective, Let's talk about it because things Ooh, things weren't off, all doom and gloom. First of all, before we even like shout out Geno Smith, all right. It wasn't journeyman Geno uh, on Monday night, all right. We got starter Smith. Put some respect on my man's name. He carved up the Broncos. Did secondary. you see his quote? Let me hear. So this is what Geno said. He said, "I don't. I forget if it was before or after the game, but he said to the reporters, he was like, everybody had written me off." But I didn't write back. Hey, mic drop. <laughs> Let's go. Shout out Starter Smith. No more journeyman Gino. So, Gino Smith was 23 of 28 for 195 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. And he did fumble once, but they recovered it, so they didn't lose it. He was, I mean, again, from a. He was solid. I mean, you look at the fantasy numbers, he was solid. 
from a real NFL perspective, he was a good game manager. Yeah, he, he did, did what, what they needed, needed to, to do to win the game. He didn't. He didn't put the ball in peril. I mean, he had the one fumble. They got it back. He didn't have any plays that I, you know, looked to be like really turnover worthy, bad throws. Like, and it's just he played a solid game. He understood what was being asked of him within the offense, and he stayed within that. Stayed within himself. Ran the offense the way it was supposed to be. Ran out the clock like they were supposed to do. And, again, one of those things where I mentioned earlier is, like, one, like, if you're the Broncos, you have to know that you need to be snapping when the clock hit, when the play clock hits, too, because you're not getting any extra time. And you need to know that the Seattle Seahawks offense is the opposite. They're going to get the extra time. Like, you just have to understand that that's going to happen. I did feel like, besides just the delay of penalty games, though, the refs were very skewed towards favoring the Seattle Seahawks oh, yeah. as opposed to Denver were- Broncos. So, you know, it seemed like the Seattle Seahawks might have had a uh, 13th man there in there with them. In the referees. 13th, uh, 14th, 15th. How many rest they got? Four? 16th? There was a lot <laughs> of things. Uh, I mean, even the... We, how many times did we look and felt like there should... You know, there was some uh, helmet-to-helmets that, that were called on the Broncos and then not called on the Seahawks when they did it. And it's, you know... Uh, fantasy-wise, though, DK Metcalf, seven catches on seven targets for 36 yards. Hmm. A little disappointing there. He did have that fumble, too. Um... I mean, you like the amount of targets he got. I mean, he led the team in targets, led the team in receptions. I mean... 36 yards. Yeah, that's that's not good. The leading receivers for the Seattle Seahawks were Colby Parkinson with two catches for 43 yards and a touchdown, and Will Disley with three catches for 43 yards and a touchdown. Who was Colby Parkinson, and where did he come from? Great question, Rich. Don't have an answer for you. I'm sure that's how everybody else felt. This was how I felt when the Broncos were throwing to Beck. Um, he was drafted in the fourth round in 2020. Does that say he's six out foot of seven or six, he's six foot, foot one. seven, 251 pounds out of Stanford, taken in the fourth round in 2020 he's by the Seattle Seahawks. He's a tight end. Okay. Yeah, he's a tight end. He's six seven. He's a tight end. He's definitely a tight end. Um, yeah. Uh, great question. Don't know where he came from. I'm very curious as to why DK Metcalf averaged 5.1 yards per reception. That's concerning. Tyler Lockett, three catches on four targets for 28 yards, 9.3 yard average. Um, I feel like they're sh- both about six yards short of what their average yards per catch typically is. And that's very concerning for me. Yeah. In a team that wants to run a lot, what really kept Metcalf and Lockett alive was the amount of yards they were getting off the catches from Russell Wilson and the touchdowns that they were getting from Russell Wilson. Play action deep balls. And, uh, we may still see that. We may see it from Geno. I mean, it remains to be to be seen. So, nervous about DK Metcalf, nervous about Tyler Lockett. Honestly, you're more nervous about DK Metcalf because where you took him was a greater investment than the investment you put in Tyler Lockett. Rashad Penny looked effective when they were really using him. Yeah. Much like the uh, Detroit Lions, they decided they were going to stop using him at points. Uh, he had a huge run called back by a penalty as well. He had like it was like a, a close to a twenty yard run that he had called back by a penalty, so could have been better. Three targets. A little surprised by that. Um, he wasn't typically used in the passing game role. Uh, two catches for seven yards, so that's probably why he's not really used in the passing game too much. But I mean, twelve carries, three targets. Serviceable. It's not like you know the twenty plus carries he was getting down the season last year and rushing off with those things. The Broncos do have a good defense, though. For as bad as their offense played, their defense was pretty solid. Their defense is good. So, 
again, a Penny is another one of those guys where when he's healthy and out there, like he's going to be usable. The problem is how, I can't count on him to be healthy and out there for a majority of the season. Mm-hmm. So flip over to the other side. Despite their offense being all doom and gloom and them losing the game, their offensive players were still relatively productive as far as everything goes. Uh, Russell Wilson, 340 passing yards, one touchdown, no turnovers. So, uh, I mean, I think he ended up with 19, 20 fantasy points. Just under 20 points, yep. So, uh, Melvin Gordon had 12 carries for 58 yards in addition to two targets with two catches for 14 yards. He also fumbled at the goal line. Yeah, that was that was a killer for the Broncos. Um, they also we talked about it before though. They also chose the weirdest times and very few times to actually run at the goal line when they got there. Javante Williams seven carries for forty three yards. So again, one guy's four point eight yards per carry, one guy's six point one. I'm confused as to why we're not just giving the ball to the guy who's clearly more effective with his touches. He got more juice around him too, man. You watch him run, and it's like wow. running through people, run, especially. So Javante Williams also got a touch at the goal line. He also fumbled. Couple things about that. One, I'm not. putting that fumble on him. They were not set on that play. The offensive line was not set. They were not ready. They had to get that playoff to avoid a delay of game penalty. They just barely got the snap off. He was literally still being handed the ball when the defender was about to make contact with him. It pops out, it rolls into the end zone. After that fumble, when he came out, that's when you really saw him putting licks on people. He came out and he was running mad. He was just straight lowering his shoulder into people. And it was like you could tell that like he was trying to make up for the fumble that had happened. Even though the fumble wasn't completely on him, he was trying he was doing the best he could to make up for it. He also had <laughs> twelve targets, eleven catches for sixty-five yards, so five point nine yards per catch. Wow. Eleven catches on twelve targets. That's a lot, man. I don't expect that to go happen no, going forward. That seems like an outlier game. This, again, but again, that, that was this game. A lot of this game was an outlier game, and I don't see things like that happening going forward. Um, I do expect him to be more involved. But So his overall production then, he ends up, you know, 11 catches. That's 11 points for you right there. He had 108 yards. So you got another 10 points there. And uh, didn't score a touchdown. So, you know, what are you going to do with 21 points without, a, without scoring a touchdown? Nice. Are you upset? Like, I don't know what to tell you. Absolutely not. Christian McCaffrey was taken second overall. He got you 15 points with a touchdown. So, Cortland Sutton, seven targets, four catches for 72 yards, 18 yards per reception, 11.2 fantasy points. People are probably hoping a little bit more for him, but the flip side of that, Jerry Judy, also seven targets, also four catches, 102 yards and a touchdown. He had a really long touchdown catch for them. He looked fast on that. Yeah, he did. This is what we expect from Jerry Judy. That's kind of what you're expecting. And uh, so, you know, Jerry Judy ends up with 20 fantasy points on the night. Here's what I'll say. I expect both of their target shares to go up. They both got seven targets, four catches. I expect that to increase in the future. I expect targets to come away from John Devontae Williams and Beck and the other tight ends on that roster and more of them to go to Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy. I, on a week-to-week basis, who's going to be one, who's going to be two? I expected there to be a difference. I didn't expect it to be a 20 versus 11 difference. I thought maybe we're looking more at big touchdown, 17 no. points to 13 points a week as far as who's different. And, again, just the difference being who caught the touchdown and who didn't. So I'm not 
Again, in a, in a game where this offense looked awful and the coaching staff didn't seem to know what they were doing, these guys both still managed to set. I mean, 11 points from Quillen Sutton's not the baller game you were expecting, but where he's drafted, he was drafted to be a wide receiver three. And if you got played him in your flex and got 11.3 points, you could have done worse. You could have started C.D. Lamb or T. Higgins this week. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then, I'm again, not buying anything really with the tight ends. Uh, Abro Cravenom still got six targets, five catches for 33 yards. Whatever. Uh, anything else you want to talk about this game? Any major pullaways? K.J. Hamlin only got one target, no catches. Think we can, you know, he can be safely left in the free in you know yeah. waiver wires until now. We don't need anything. The pass catchers you want are Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, and then the two running backs. And even Melvin Gordon might be somebody to that you don't necessarily want because his efficiency is going down. And if he doesn't score a touchdown, he's not going to give you anything. But I think that's it as far yeah, as uh, I think we could wrap. Yeah, as far as final thoughts on that goes. Anything else? Just I mean. We've talked about it before. We saw the some powerhouses struggling week one. A lot of weird stuff happen. I don't like to make two. I don't like to make trades after week one because of how it happens. Like I said, I want to wait till week three. Anything like that for you? Any just final notes? Any overall tones or anything that we might have glossed over that we need to go back to? Any injuries? Do we miss any injuries? Do we miss any injuries? I don't believe. But the did one we, thing. Um, that... Let me just say because you had mentioned this. Um, did we ever get any clarity about Leonard Fournette? You said you felt like he came up a little gimpy. He was. I haven't seen a report yet, but I mean, you go watch the one. Um, the, the, his last run, his last carry he gets, the yeah. last play he plays. He runs around the left side. He gets to the outside and he busts up the sideline for. Uh, it's like a twelve-yard run. And when at the end, you see, he's like, ah, maybe it was cramps. Maybe he was just cramping, but he was reaching at that hamstring, and he was limping a little bit, made his way across the field, and didn't come back. No, I saw it, too, because we were watching the game here, and uh, it's surprising, you know, you're not with us to watch a football game for once. Um, but we were watching it here, and I just looked over, and me and Mike looked at each other, and I just kind of said to Mike, you know, like, uh, you know, R- Rashad White started getting work, essentially. And I looked over, and it's like, it looked, and it's like, it looked like Fournette might have been a little uh, he got up slowly at the after his last run and it's like when you're up that many points why risk it so that's why Rashad White got some run I'm not necessarily buying stocks of Rashad White it does leave credence to the fact that if something happens to Fournette Rashad White's the number two guy who will fill in that role that was what I wanted to bring up and you mentioned Fournette which got us on topic with how good Rashad White looked I thought he looked really well um he looked pretty explosive um, he made good cuts. He had good vision. He got in and out of the holes. Um, we'll see. You know, we'll see what what pass protection as the season goes along. But I mean, he he looks like the handcuff to own in Tampa Bay. Seems that way. Yeah, and so that's also why I was checking to see if we had because I know you have Leonard Fournette, so you'd be more up to date on what's going on with him than I would. Um, and seeing if there's any injury. But if there's no, I mean, they haven't practiced yet because they don't play till Sunday. Probably be out tomorrow. If yeah, so. It doesn't really help anybody for now, but you know if uh, Leonard Fournette is injured and missing some time, Rashad White's the guy you want to grab. Keep an eye out on that injury report. It may be something that sneaks under the radar. So, so until next time, you can follow us on Twitter at Fantasy Oddballs. You can catch our podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, pretty much anywhere you get your audio podcast. Until then, I'm Ryan McNichols. Rich out. Peace out, fellas, ladies, everyone. <laughs>